Well, it is a pleasure to be here this morning. I love the generations all in one room, worshiping together, learning together. And the youngsters, if if they get a little bit stir-crazy or make a noise or two, it is a-okay because it's a joy to be in the same room talking about the same God. We are in the smack-dab middle of a three-week teaching series in the Psalms. And the theme for all three of these teachings is God is interested in you. Remember, when someone asks you how you're doing throughout the day, you really just say fine or good because you're not really sure if they actually want to know how you're feeling. But it's not that way with God. At least it shouldn't be because God is interested in you. He's interested in your true thoughts, your true feelings. And that's what's great about the Psalms because the collection of authors are writing their true thoughts, their true feelings to God. They're asking Him questions and why have you allowed this circumstance? Or they're sharing praise or, or thanking Him for the wisdom that they've provided in their life. Many, many different Psalms are written. And in, in today's message, we're going to focus on God's interest in your prayers. So there was once a small boy who was trying to push a huge boulder as hard as he could, but it would not move. And his father was standing nearby and and he said, son, are you using all your strength? Well, frustrated, the boy piped back to dad, yes! And, And father patiently said, no, you're not. You haven't asked me to help. Now this little illustration is accurate of my prayer life at times. Where I, the son, am too busy or too entrenched in what I'm doing or too prideful to ask and help because, for help because it's my job. And, and God the Father is just standing right there saying, if you would just ask for help. See, the Bible teaches a critically important truth. God has resources to help, but he intentionally withholds them. Not to be mean, not to be frustrating. He intentionally holds them. Why? Because he wants his children to simply ask. Just as I, as a father, would want my kids to ask when they need help. If you grew up in church, you know who David is from David and Goliath and the king of Israel. But if you didn't grow up with church, you may not be familiar with who David is. You may have heard David and Goliath references in culture when any time an underdog goes up against a heavy favorite. So David was a shepherd boy. He was the unlikeliest of people to find himself in the middle of a battlefield. One on one versus Goliath. Winner take all. The balance of the future for these two nations were in in doubt. And David just took out his slingshot, but also the bold declaration that the Lord God would provide victory for the Israelites. And that's what happened. David defeated Goliath in the name of the Lord. And David's popularity skyrocketed. People knew who he was. He became important. And within years, he was the king of Israel, the greatest king that Israel had. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And it's like, wow, that's a pretty big deal. How, how does the Bible say that? Well, many other kings and many other leaders worshipped other false gods. The God that we worship was just one of many gods that some of these kings and leaders worshipped, but not for David. David said there is only one true God. 
And he stood by that. But don't be confused. David wasn't perfect. He made incredible mistakes and, and had sin that we would gasp at. But he always went back to the one true God. In fact, he wrote out one of his prayers. It's in the Psalms. It's Psalm 86. And we're going to read through it this morning. So grab a Bible. The page numbers for the Bibles on the pews, uh, are, they're up on the screen. If you brought your own Bible, great. I'll let you flip to the Psalms. You can certainly use a phone Bible application. Sometimes I forget that little Bible button that I have, and it's good to practice hitting that. You can certainly read the scriptures on your phone. The, the words are also printed in the bulletin, and they will be on the screen for your convenience, but don't underestimate the power of holding God's word in your hand and reading it alongside a family member. So Psalm 86, it's a prayer of David. It's one that we'll see he prays when he's in a time of trouble and a time of need. So we're going to start at verse 1. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts you. Have mercy on me, Lord. David says this because he knows that God doesn't owe him a single thing. That anything God provides is out of his grace. And so David's saying, hey, I know my place here. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. God doesn't play favorites. If you call on the Lord, if you say a prayer to the Lord, he hears it. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made, all the nations, whether they recognize God or not, any blessing they have is from God. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord. Again, David is saying, I don't know everything. God, there is more for me to learn from you. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. This is the struggle that he's he's facing, and he takes it right to God. And then he shares with God what he knows about about the Lord's character. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. There he goes again, asking for mercy. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So as you can see, David, a a powerful man, a man of great influence and wealth beyond what we could even understand, is bringing this to God in his time of trouble, sharing with God the 
the greatness that he knows of him, asking God for, for more, to learn more about his ways. This is important stuff. Prayer is important. And I want to take a few minutes to talk directly to the married people in the room this morning because prayer needs to be a huge part of your marriage. If you're not married and you hope to be married someday, this is important for you too because you can see a blueprint to build your marriage on, your future marriage on. If you're newly married, I wish I would have known this right away. But, but it's not too late. The, the sooner that you can start this, the better you will be. If you've been married for many years, I hope that what, what we hear today encourages you and, and gives you affirmation for how you've gone about your marriage or can also open your eyes to, to a very, very important part in a practice that you can begin or re-enter. What I'm asking you is this. I want you to pray together out loud, on a regular basis. You and your spouse, pray together out loud on a regular basis. Now I know some of you are like, yep, got it. Meal time. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the food. Amen, right? Day by day by day. See, mealtime prayer is, is A-OK. I'm not saying get rid of that, but that's not the prayer that I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about praying together, you and your spouse, that weird, uncomfortable, I don't like this, I'm not good at this, out loud, on a regular basis. This is important stuff. And if there's something inside of you, well, for one... I don't want to see any elbows to the spouse. I'm like saying, I told you so or anything. Or don't be cutting your eyes. But if there is something that's holding you back from this, I would say it's not so much a theological thing as it is a pride thing. Pride getting in the way of prayer. And, and you've got to figure that out. You owe it to yourself to get to the bottom of what that is. You know, studies show that that 8% of Christian married couples pray together. 8%. Dr. Phil cites a statistic that he counts as reliable in one of the books that he published, and I find very, very interesting. Before he presents this statistic, he shares this. An interesting statistic reflects that the divorce rate in America is a minimum one out of two marriages. We've heard this before. 50% of the marriages end in divorce. And, and let's be real, though. Take a step back and think about it. Nobody gets married planning on getting divorced. That's not the way it works out. When you get married, you think it's forever. And so something is gone wrong here, horribly, that in our country, it's a coin flip on whether or not your marriage will last. Now, I will say, you put a lot of planning into your wedding day. You deserve to be on the positive side of the statistic. Now, Dr. Phil continues. He says, But the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about 1 in 10,000. The reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about 1 in 10,000. Just so we're clear, the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is 1 in 10,000. Never in the history of publishing, of speaking, of of research has a statistic delivered a promise anywhere near this. God has resources to give. And this indicates that those who are asking for those resources will receive that 
blessing. Dr. Phil even continues, pretty impressive, even if you reduce it a thousandfold. So the bottom line is this. Couples who pray together stay together. Now, I know that sounds all nice and fuzzy, and you'd find it on Pinterest, all in a cool frame, and put it in your living room. You can certainly do that, but it's more robust than a pin. And if you want to be more accurate on a technicality, couples who pray together are far, 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 far more likely to stay together. This is important stuff. Praying together out loud on a regular basis. Now, some of you still just need, help me with the first step. I need to prime the pump. You're starting to open up to this a little bit. And and I have a few tips to help you out, to give you some encouragement. I'm I'm not trying to be flip with any of this. I'm serious, although it might come off as a little light. But... But, but really, it's about taking the first step and engaging in this practice. The first tip is this. Short and awkward is better than long and flawless. Okay, Some of you, the only time you hear someone pray out loud is here at a worship service in the church building. And they're praying these big, long prayers with big church words. And, and the piano comes underneath to make it all dramatic. And you feel like, oh, I could never do that. I can't do it. You, know? and it, you don't have to do that. Short and awkward is better than long and flawless. Guys, get into bed tonight. Reach over. Grab your wife's hand. Her hand. And, and just say a short prayer. Dear God, I'm praying out loud for the first time. Amen. He hears that prayer. Short and awkward is better than long and flawless. Secondly, pray with each other, not at each other. Do you see the difference? We don't want to be praying like this. Dear God, pray for Jim, that he'd be a better father, spend more time with the kids. And I want him to know that he's forgiven for what he said about me to his mother on the phone. <laughs> pray with, pray with, not at. That's, that's important, those two words. And then finally, pray for your children. This is a great place to start. If you have children together, Pray for them. Pray for the hopes and dreams that you have. Pray for their, on behalf of their problems that, that they're experiencing. Pray for their health and their growth. Certainly pray with your children, but then take time to pray together for them. Remember that short and awkward is better than long and flawless. Pray with each other, not at each other. And pray for your children. This is what marriages should be made of praying together and if if you, you still have those guards up if you still think oh prayers personal prayers private you know when you got married two became one and now you belong together personal and private praying out to god bringing your your concerns and bringing your praises to him and if you're if you're still there's still something inside you that doesn't want to do it Well, first I would ask that you push through it. I mean, think about it. You push through things all throughout your week to exercise, to eat healthy, to do those things you don't like to do at work. You push through many things. You can push through this. It is more than worth it, even though it might feel a little uncomfortable at first. And if you're still not there, if you still don't 
think you can take that step. You still don't, even though the Bible says, even though God is willing to give the resources and the research shows it, you still don't want to do it. Then I would say you owe it to yourself to figure out inside of you what's holding that back. Couples who pray together stay together. Now, if I said anything this morning that you'd like to hear again, or someone you think it would be good for them to hear this message, you can find it online at orchardhillchurch.org. I'm going to say a prayer for you right now. I'm going to say a short prayer, and then I'll invite you to, to join in with the Lord's Prayer with me as we close. So let's, let's pray. We will use the words debts and debtors, just so you have a heads up on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God of great resources, and that by your grace, you're willing to share. Lord, we are sorry for those, for those times where, where pride gets in the way of prayer, where we don't think to ask our Father in heaven for help. You have so clearly shown us and displayed time after time after time that you're willing to help. It started when you sent your own son, Jesus, to live as a man and die a brutal death on the cross on our behalf so that we, we wouldn't die, but when we put our faith in him, can have everlasting life with you in heaven. And now we join together as a congregation praying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.